As I look around, I see there are a few of you that are not in your right service. And that's okay. But what I, I want to encourage you, if you're looking around and you see somebody say, they must be a visitor, they may not be. It may be new to you, but they're not new here. So as you walk around, say, how long have you been coming here this, this, to this church? And they'll say, for 10 years. And you'll say, me too. It's good to meet you. This morning we start our series on personal evangelism. This series, Just Walk Across the Room. And I will tell you, just the, the utterance of the word evangelism makes many people break out in cold sweats. You get a little nervous about it. You think of you know, a sandwich board and the tracks you find in restrooms, and, and you think of that, and this is evangelism, but, but that's not it. You start thinking about personal evangelism, and it actually gets a little bit creepier, because now it's not a guy with a megaphone, it's now sort of this multi-level marketing campaign. You know what I'm talking about. It's sort of like the Amway, but it's for Jesus, Amway for Jesus. And so, you know, how many friends and people can you drag and coerce and cajole to come to church with you? I remember a friend of mine from seminary was talking about ministering in a church in Texas. And in Texas, they had this thing for the, the denomination he was part of, and they had the, it was called the Great day in texas and so for about four to six weeks ahead of time the, the preacher was telling everybody hey let's make it a great day in texas and go get your friends and grab your neighbors and bring them here and if they go to another church tell them your church is better and bribe them and pay them and take them out for breakfast and do whatever it's going to take for you to get them here and so they get them all here and you're expecting something deep and profound and, and the preacher just stands up and he says Hey, listen, guess what? It's record attendance. You made it a great day in Texas. Have a great day. And that was, that was it. That was, there was no more. And I thought, how, how, how used do all these people have to feel that they've been drug in so that way the church could count their nose and then all of a sudden say, it's a great day in Texas. Thanks very much. See you later. Uh, this is not good. This is bad. Okay, it's bad. And, and as I think about what evangelism means, it brings back stuff like that. It brings back, you know, the Romans road or a five-finger exercise or something else that promises to be so utterly clear and compelling that you could take the hardest atheist you could find and run them through this four, you know, four-week study. And by the end of it, even the hardened atheist would become a Christian miraculously. And it's so simple, you'll never forget it. But as soon as you're done, you've forgotten what it was, and it's of absolutely no use. I didn't want that. And as I was thinking about what we're going to do this year, about being courageous, I thought we need to be courageous in reaching people for Christ. But I didn't want any of those things. And so we came across, walk across the room, and, and I'll tell you, I like it. I like the videos a lot. Bill Hybels is very clearly somebody who's got a heart for the lost, and he's got a lot of great stories to share about his own uh, interactions with people that are lost. And, and I want you to know that you're going to really enjoy being part of that Sunday school class. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy these series as we go through this uh, because I, I think that we've made evangelism far more complicated than it needs to be. And I want us to sort of define a few terms before we get any further. Uh, the first is this, is there's a key truth that evangelism depends on. This key truth is this, is that Christ is the single greatest gift given to us. Christ is the single greatest gift 
given to us. He reveals the God who created us, the God who loves us, the God who has a purpose for us. And without Christ, our present has less meaning and our eternity has no hope. Okay, friends? We can talk about a lot of things this morning, but I think we've all got to affirm that without Christ, our present has less meaning and our future has no hope. If that premise is not true, then why are you here? If that premise is not true, then why did Christ come? Romans 5a, we've got this one here on the screen for you, says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If this premise that Christ is the single greatest gift to us, then why did he come and die if that is not true? There's no reason for it. So before we get any further in evangelism, we have got to be committed to the reality that Christ is the single greatest gift to humanity. And because of that, evangelism is this. Here's the definition of evangelism. Evangelism is engaging opportunities to have an eternal impact in somebody's life. And that's really what I want you to to think of as evangelism. As we go through this, I want us to not count conversions as much as we count conversations. Okay? I want us to count the conversations we're having with people about Christ rather than the conversions. L- listen, you can have all the conversations with somebody about Christ that, that you want, and I'll tell you, you are living in faithful obedience to God's will if you're having those conversations. But the conversion is up to the person. They've got to make that decision. Am I going to receive Christ? Am I not? If some of it has to do with the Holy Spirit and the conviction. Are all of these things coming together? You are not called to save anybody. You can't do that. Only Christ can do that. But you are called to engage the opportunities that are presented to you. You are called to do those things. And so, at the end of the day, you don't win and you don't lose based on who you, you, know, you got dunked and how many pledge cards you got signed. You, you've won or lost on whether or not you've been obedient to the call of God. Bill Hybel shares a story, and I believe this one's actually in the small group study, about this man. Uh, he's at a lunch, Bill Hybels is, and he's sitting there, and this man across the table, they've introduced themselves, is clearly got this Muslim name, and he's got Muslim dress, and and he's thinking to himself, this man is clearly not a, a Christian. But as they go through the lunch, this man looks at him and he mouths the words to Bill Hybels. He says, I love your books. And he turns around because he thinks, surely he's not talking to him. But no, he is talking to him. He loves his books. He loves the things that, that he's talked and said. And so they got to talking. And he said, well, how did you come to follow Christ? And this man said, well, yeah, I came from this, this different background, this, this background uh, from a different faith. And all these different things. But I was, at a, I was at a business event one night, kind of one of these social parties. And, and I was there standing by myself, hoping to leave as soon as I could. You know, just wanted to show up to be there to say I came. And all of a sudden, from across the room, this man came. And, and he shook my hand and he said, you know, I'm so-and-so. And he introduced himself. And, and they started talking a little bit. And he said, uh, he said, I see that you're uh, Muslim. He says, I don't know anything about Muslim uh, faith. Would you do me the courtesy of talking with me about your faith? Would you tell me about that? And so for a series of weeks, they have this conversation where he's learning about Islam. And then at the end of this conversation, the, the, the man who, who meeting Bill Hybels, he says, you know what? I asked him, I said, well, tell me about Christianity. And this began another series of conversations that led to this man receiving Christ. But it all is tracked back to that man taking the, the decision to make a simple walk across a room to engage that opportunity And friends, that's the single greatest gift that we as Christ followers can give to people around us is an introduction to the God who creates us, loves us, and has a purpose for their lives. Let me tell you, nothing in your life will beat that. 
Okay? You can achieve all the success you want in, in, in business. You can, you can have all sorts of monetary gains and, and recognition and accolades and all those things. But when you boil it down, the greatest gift that you have and the greatest gift you can give to somebody living far from God is the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. And that's what it's about. Ultimately, this Christ follower in the story just allowed himself to be used by God to, to bear that gift that God has originally given and today, this is where we begin this process of becoming usable to God. And I hope that as we start this new year, you're thinking to yourself, you know, the one thing I'd really like to do this year is be used by God. I would like God to use my life this year. I would like God to use me for, for the purpose of his kingdom. I would like God to use me this year. And I would like to say, you know what? I can see how God has used me and how I've been used by him. And the thing that it's going to take to do that is to get out of our circles of comfort to stretch out a hand to a person who needs the hope that we alone can offer and to extend that conversation uh, of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at how this is going to unfold a little bit. What's it going to take for us to give the single greatest gift to someone we know? The first thing we've got to do is this. We've got to be willing to enter the zone of the unknown. The zone of the unknown. You know, there's a couple conversations that are rude according to standard social protocol, okay? Conversation starter number one that is rude is to go up to anybody, even if you really know them or don't know them, it's even worse, and you say, hey, how much money did you make last year? You're laughing because it's just absurd. We don't start that kind of conversation that way. What did you earn? Another conversation we don't have is, so, who did you vote for last election? Tell me. I want to know. There's another thing that I think falls into this, or at least we've thought it falls into this, and that's this. Uh, who is your God? Who is your God? Now, I get the first two. How much money do you make? What that is clearly trying to do is sort of assess a person's self-worth by the amount of money that they report on their taxes at the year's end. You know, we're trying to assess somebody's self-worth based on the money that they make. That is rude. The second one, who did you vote for? Well, that's, I think, something that we do to sort of pigeonhole people. Oh, well, you voted for this person. That must mean that you're, well, fill in the blank, depending on where you're from. Or you voted for that person. Well, that must mean that you're, well, you know, fill in the blank. And that's, that's what you are. We try to sort of pigeonhole people uh, into ideology and philosophy and, and whether they're liberal or conservative, all these sorts of things based on who they voted for. But this last one, who is your God, is one I think we have made rude. Uh, what God do you believe in? Do you believe in God? We have made these inappropriate, not because they're rude, but because it makes us feel uncomfortable. How rude is it to have in a conversation, ask somebody, who are your parents? Where are they from? Where are you from? Who's your father? That's not a rude conversation question. That's a, a nice conversation question. We're trying to assess somebody, know a little bit more about them. The same thing should be true with this question. Do you know your heavenly father? Who is your heavenly father? You see, friends, what this is, is a, it's a conversation that has an eternal implication, and it's one that we've sort of got to get past feeling uncomfortable about. It's something Christ did. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 says this, Have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Let me tell you, if Christ walked across the cosmos to save us, why can we not walk across the room for somebody else? If we go back to our story, 
thinking of the genesis of this man who receives Christ at this, as a result of an introduction he has at this business networking function. What was that like for him? I mean, this man who walks across the room to share Christ, he was in a circle of comfort, a comfortable conversation topics, comfortable people to converse with, and somehow he sees this man across the room, and he says, you know what? I think maybe he needs a little bit of encouragement. I think maybe he needs a little bit of friendship. And so he walks out of this safe, comfortable, conversational circle and starts to walk to that place that is uncomfortable and awkward. I hope you've been at a moment like that where you've seen somebody and you felt this draw. I'll tell you, I believe that often that's the Holy Spirit drawing us to somebody else. We feel this draw of saying, you know, we should go talk to this person. We should go have this conversation with this person. And frequently we sort of quiet that down and we say, no, 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 no. No, they're not interested. No, no, no. They don't want to talk about these things. But when the Spirit starts to lead us and move us and draw us, we've got to go. We've got to go and extend a hand of friendship to somebody. We've got to say these, these few words, excuse me for a minute. I'll be right back. I'm going to go have this conversation that I believe I'm appointed to have. Now remember, this guy has no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea what's going to happen when you take that. You think you're going to be obedient. Maybe it's going to end well. Maybe it's going to end poorly. But the ending is not dependent on you. The question is, are you willing to start that conversation? Are you willing to walk in obedience, to stick out your hand and say, Hi, I'm so-and-so. What's your name? And you strike up this conversation. It seems so simple. It seems so straightforward. But that's exactly what it is. Just a few steps to cross the room to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question I want us to ponder. What would happen if we were all to take a few steps across the room? You know, this man who receives Christ as a result of this conversation, I suspect it had eternal implications for him. I suspect it had eternal implications for his wife. I suspect it had eternal implications for his children. I suspect it had eternal implications for his grandchildren and hopefully his great-grandchildren. And you think about, as that family gets together later and starts talking about, where was it that we received Christ? Because that's sort of not in our heritage. They'll trace that back to one conversation that one man had because he decided to take one walk across one small room. It's traced back to that. Do you think it would be worth the risk of ten steps across the room? As a believer, you've got to say yes. You've got to say yes. Now, it sounds difficult, it sounds a little terrifying, I suppose, but we don't do this alone. We also listen for the Holy Spirit's promptings. If you're a living, breathing Christ follower, and nobody's fallen over yet, so we're going to assume that that's most of you. If you're a living, breathing Christ follower, and you're going, what does God want me to do with my life? I will tell you the answer to that. He wants you to share Him with those you know and with those you meet. Okay? That's pretty simple. That's everywhere, every day, at work, at school, in social settings, at the gym, at basketball games for your kids, at basketball games that you go to for fun, all of these sorts of things in the midst of your insane schedule, wherever, whenever. Some of you are here this morning and you're going to 2014 and you're thinking, you know what, I feel like I've been treading water in my faith for a long time. I feel like I've stayed in the same place. I feel like I'm on this spiritual treadmill. I feel like I'm going really fast, but I'm not getting anywhere. And you're going, I'd like to move someplace this year in my faith. Let me tell you, if you are stuck in that same spot, it could be that you have never moved into a place that requires faith. It might be that you are stuck in this circle of comfort. It might be that you are stuck in this place where you do not really need God because you have never risked anything or ventured anything for Him. 
And so you go, why am I not just blasting ahead in my spiritual growth and development? The answer is because you don't have to. Because you're not getting out there. You're not risking something. You're not trying something. It's impossible to imagine, but I know that there are some people, and I have to admit I've been guilty of this from time to time, who have experienced God's forgiveness, who have experienced the soul-level cleansing of God, and then all of a sudden you develop this case of spiritual amnesia. You think, oh, I've forgotten how important the cross really is. We get wrapped up in circles of comfort. We warm ourselves day after day from the glow of Christian community. We focus our energy and attention on the people standing here in this room. And we forget to acknowledge the isolated folks that are outside of the family of God. Regardless of your spiritual amnesia or your insulation in a circle of comfort, I want you to know that the Spirit of God is calling you to engage somebody for Christ. Now let me tell you, before you get the wrong idea about what this looks like, I think we need to be real with each other. We've all been to churches and we've all heard people, I call them the super evangelists. These are people that travel from city to city evangelizing people and wherever they go, they leave a wake of sort of like salvation in their path. This guy that he gets in the cab and by the time he gets to the airport, that cab driver has been saved and they pulled over and they baptized him you know in some sort of cesspool there in the middle of the city and he's received christ and then he goes and they meet the 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 gate agent and the gate agent receives christ and the tsa agent while he's patting him down he also receives christ just by being close to him and then there's that poor soul stuck next to him on the plane and they're forced to listen to the gospel message for a good three or four solid hours. But it doesn't take that long, 15 minutes. That person's broken. They're down. They've received Jesus. And as a matter of fact, they've now stood up and evangelized the entire plane. And so now when the plane lands, there's a whole new church that's born right there inside of that 737. Now, friends, I don't know anybody that really can do those sorts of things. I've heard the stories. I've not seen it happen. And so I don't want you to think that just because you're going to start doing this, it's going to be like fantastic. Okay? Sometimes we're obedient to the Spirit, but the other person is not. It is a two-way street, friends. You walk out in obedience, the other person says, no, I, I'm choosing to not go there. That's how it works. You know, I remember not that long ago, I was, I, was, I was driving down Scottsville Road out of town there where it's divided, and as I look across the road, I see this woman throw up her hands in just utter despair and anguish. And I see this woman is just completely broken there on the side of Scottsville Road. I've got two kids in the car with me, and I think, this woman needs some help. And so I, I pull around, I pull up behind her, and sure enough, she's got a flat tire. And I think, oh, she doesn't have a cell phone. Because anybody that gets a flat tire is always out there doing this thing. You know, they're always out there with their phone, and they're talking. And, and I don't feel bad for those people, you know, because they've got help. This woman has no phone, and it becomes clear she also doesn't speak English. And I'm thinking, you know, this, this is somebody I really need to help. And I've sort of invented how she really needs help. And she's here and she's starting over and this is going to be really good. So I get there and I say through motions and talking really loud and slow because that helps when you're trying to communicate via foreign language. Do you have a tire iron? And we get the trunk open and we find a tire iron. We find a spare. And I think these are bolts that have been frozen and then also sealed with Loctite. And so, I mean, it... I've never had bolts this hard on a car. So, I mean, it, I'm there for, it's summer, and I'm sweating, and the kids are in the car, and I'm thinking, I'm, what a great charitable act I'm doing, and I'm feeling really good about myself. And so I get the tire on, I put it all in the trunk, and I say, all right, you're good to go. And she just stands there and looks at me, and I'm like, you know, you can leave now. And, and she's like, okay, thank you. And so I realize it's my cue to get in my car and go. And so I do, I get in my car, and I leave, and I go, and I make a U-turn. I'm coming back because I've got to go back the other way. 
And as I do, her like brother or boyfriend or husband or father, I don't know who it was, pulls up right behind her to change the tire, and I thought I didn't even need to stop for this. Sorry. But, but, I, I was obedient. You know, it wasn't needed. It wasn't necessarily superfluous. She's probably there the whole time going, why is he changing my tire? Somebody else that really knows what they're doing is going to be here in about five minutes. Leave me alone. She didn't have the English skills to communicate that, and I was obviously not listening. But, you know, that's how it is. Sometimes you get into something and it's great. Other times you get into it and you go, this was a train wreck. But the question is, have you been obedient to the call of God in your life? It's risky. But those are the kind of people we're called to be. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 5, 13, we've also got this one on the screen, calls us something. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Some of you have been in church a lot longer than I have and maybe even longer than I've been alive. And that's great. And you're going to be disappointed at this insight I'm going to share with you from the scripture. It took me until just recently to realize this is not a command. It's not a command. It doesn't say you be the salt of the earth. Or be the salt of the earth, commandment. It is descriptive. It says if you are following Christ, you are the salt of the earth. That's what you are. Like it or not, want to be or don't want to be, it doesn't matter. You are the salt of the earth. And salt requires several things. I mean, it, it requires the potency that salt has to have. You know, if he's going to have the savor, it's going to have the, the ice melting effect, all those sorts of things. Salt's got to be salty. That's a no-brainer. But there's one other thing salt requires, and that is proximity. My food doesn't get salty just as I look at a salt shaker on the table. Boy, my food is so salty just by being, you know, on the same table as that salt shaker. The salt's got to come out. It's got to go onto the food if it's going to be salty. You know, a sack of salt doesn't melt your driveway sitting in your garage. It's got to be applied, okay? Some of you are going, yeah, well, we figured that out. Thank you. It's true, though. And the same thing's true in the spiritual realm. You can be the strongest, most spiritual, salty salt the world has ever seen, but if you refuse to be close to another human being, it does not matter. We've got to move out of the salt shaker into the world. And I'll tell you, it takes faith to do this. Last week, Jared preached a great message challenging us here to a year of faith. And I love the prayer he shared. It was simple. He said, God, show me what you're up to and how I can be a part of it. And that's essentially the prayer we're praying as we, we engage in this walking across the room. When we're relating right with Jesus Christ, when there's vitality and openness in our, our spirits, the promptings of His Spirit, we're going to find ourselves moved by the whispers of God's Spirit, and it's going to take us across the room if we're willing to be open to that. Now, not all the time, but if you are moved by God's grace, some of the time and you are committed to being salty, and you're committed to being close to people that need God's grace, and you're committed to listening to the Spirit's promptings, then I think that you will find some incredible things happen in your life. Taking a walk across the room is something Jesus did here in John chapter 4. Because that's the last thing we've got to do. Is we've just got to walk. You know, we've just got to walk. At some point, we've just got to take the time to walk. And that's what Jesus does here in John chapter 4. Look at this text here. Jesus is there at Jacob's well in Samaria. And the text reads this way. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, uh, he left Judea, verse 3, started back to Galilee. Verse 4, But he had to go through Samaria. <coughs> and the answer is no, he didn't really have to, but there was something in him that compelled him to walk there. 
So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. And we can insert a few things here, because the disciples go to have lunch at this point. And it's as though if we were to sort of see this conversation unfold, the disciples are going, hey, Jesus, we're going to go into town to get something to eat. Would you like to come with us? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Why don't you go on ahead without me? There's a conversation that I'm going to need to have here. And then the Samaritan woman comes. And Jesus engages her in a conversation. Now, I will tell you, Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. If you've been in church a while, you know that. And so this woman is not expecting a Jew to speak to him. Furthermore, she's a woman, he's a man. She's doubly not expecting Jesus to talk to her. The gender's wrong, the ethnicity is wrong, and yet Jesus engages her. From across the well, he says, hey, let's have a drink. And that's how this conversation starts, about drinking water. And as the conversation evolves, Jesus says, you know what, listen, drinking water is great, but there is something called living water that you need to know about. And it's through this conversation that starts about water, that starts with Jesus leaving the circle of comfort and engaging this woman, that this woman becomes saved. She comes to have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's look at the text and see what the result of that is. Uh, This woman, verse 25, goes and she says, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you is he. And so he makes this confession that he is the Christ. Uh, Verse 39, many Samaritans from that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. I want to fast forward 5, 10, 15 years as that entire Samaritan city is there and they're believing in Christ together. As they've established the first Samaritan church of Sychar there. As they're there talking about their faith and they're going, you know, none of us would be here if it wasn't for that sinful woman who was by the well that came down the mountain and said, hey, listen, come out here and meet this guy. He told me everything I ever did. And they're all thinking, we know everything you ever did. And she says, no, 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 this guy's different. And they go and they meet. And because of that, they meet Christ. 10, 15, 20, 25 years, as they trace their spiritual genealogy back, they trace it back to one man, Jesus Christ, who had to walk across a well. They trace it to one woman who chose to come back and leave her circle, this time it's of shame, and go and engage the people that are there. One conversation. I'm going to close with these, these lines here from walk across from the book. Jesus Christ knew that fulfilling his redemptive mission would be excruciatingly difficult, risky, downright defeating, and seemingly fruitless for us at times. But if you will just persevere, he might say, the potential is colossal. Think of it. One more treasure, a priceless human being, might be snatched from the clutches of a horrendous, lifeless eternity because of your work. So go, go right now and bear witness. Sow the seed, take the walk across the room, leave what's comfortable for that which is eternally significant. Risk your life for this and know that you will never regret your decision. Friends, I I know that this is a risky and difficult proposition. And as we go through these next few weeks, hopefully we're going to give you some tools to have these conversations. 
I would encourage you to do a few things this morning. One is this, is the, the good stuff is all going to be in our Sunday school classes, and you're going to be a part of one of those. So be, go join one of those at this next hour. The second thing is I want to encourage you to follow the Spirit's promptings this week. Next week I'm going to have a little more of a practical, like something you're going to do right in service. But today, who is that one person that you're saying, you know, I would really love it if they would come to know Jesus Christ? And then I want to ask you this question as, as we sort of close out, and I want you to ponder this. It's if Christ has changed your life, if you have found Christ to be the truth, if you have found that what the Bible says to be true, then why would you, or why would me, or why would any of us assume that nobody else wants to know about that? If Christ has changed our life, and we found the ultimate truth in who Jesus is, then why would we assume that there is a single person that is not interested in finding about what is a life-changing heart-stimulating, eternity-altering relationship. Friends, God is calling us to share Him with those we meet, with those we know. Why don't we pray? Gracious Lord, we come to You this morning, and we are thankful that You took a walk across eternity to come and be with us. And Lord, as You're challenging us to take a walk across the room and to engage those that we know, to engage those that we meet, Lord, would you give us the same courage and boldness and humility that Christ had, that we would take seriously this call to share you with all that we know. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning we're singing our song of decision. We do this every week. And we do it because we don't ever know when the Spirit's moving. And perhaps somebody is feeling the Spirit moving. And you're saying, you know what, I, I need to receive Christ. Others of you, you've been with us at this church for a while. And this is a new year, and you're thinking, this is the year I'm going to get serious about being a part of church. And you say, you know, I'd like to make a commitment to Christ and serving Him at, at the church here at Bowling Green. And you're saying, I'd like to start the year as placing my membership here at Bowling Green Christian Church. We'll invite you to come forward to do those things or something else maybe the Spirit's leading you to do. Why don't you stand as we sing this song?